0: You know, it's very easy to talk about your favorite car or your favorite movie, and it just kind of flows out whenever you just want to just talk about things that you like. So I've found that whenever I get to communicate the gospel, I always like to do it as a story. Right? Everyone likes to hear a good story. I was actually in the uh, Boys and Girls Club on Friday where I work, and I had these middle school kids, you know, the, the, their semester just ended, and they were really bored because a bunch of their friends didn't show up. So I sat with them, and they wanted to hear some of my stories, you know, from high school and middle school. So what do, you think, what do you think are the two things they wanted to hear the most about? Just, you know, laying on me. What do you think? What? What was that, crushes? Yeah, okay, one, they wanted to hear about my romances. You know, they wanted to hear about my first girlfriends. They wanted to hear, my first girlfriends. So let, me, let me change that, All right. Actually, okay, I had, I had six that I got to pick from, so I guess that kind of works. No, but I, they also wanted to hear about my first breakup. They wanted to hear... Uh, about action, too. They wanted to hear about the sports that I played, if I got in any fights, you know, what I did during break. And, you know, you just come to find, especially if you're Cuban and your dad raises you, telling stories, you come to find that people just like hearing stories. So when you come and say, hey, look, I got the best story ever in the entire world, people are usually going to be like, well, lay it on me. I want to hear what this story is about. So today we're going to talk about three things. One, we're going to talk about a story. What makes a story? After that, we're going to talk about the story. And then after that, we're going to talk about our stories. Now, again, interaction. What what makes a good story? Just throw it out. What makes a good story? A beginning, a middle, and an end, right? It has to have a good beginning. You know, it has to draw you in. It has to have good characters. You know, you gotta have a, a really likable good guy, a really dislikable bad guy, and maybe like a damsel in distress. You gotta have a good plot, good storyline action. Ladies, what else do you have to have? Yeah. Romance. Exactly. You've got to have a little romance right? or else the women won't go with you to the movies to watch movies like Thor and Pirates of the Caribbean. So women, what makes a good romance? Love. Love. Mm-hmm. What else? Crying. Crying yeah. Breakup. Break up. Yeah. There has to be drama, right? It has to be beautiful. There has to be something beautiful about it, right? They're, they're, what was that? Murder, that's my type of romance, right? Uh, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, just wait, right? But, but it has to be beautiful, it has, there has to be passion, there has to be desire, and essentially there has to be romance. I mean, you want to see how far that guy is willing to go to get the girl, right? Well, you said one, murder, but I think one of the main things that you need in, in, in a romance is action. Now, if you guys didn't know, the root of romances, it comes from the medieval era, and they used to write these stories about these knights, Okay, and these knights were these honor-bound chivalrous knights. And what would these knights end up doing? What would they fight? Dragon. The dragon, right? They would fight this monster. You'd have the knight. He would go on a quest. He'd fight some type of monster, and then who would he get? He would get the damsel in distress, right? That's who he would. That's who he's fighting for. I fought. I fought a guy for my wife, right? Not physically, but you know, I I had to swoon her. So that was that was my quest. Yeah, yeah, she had. She had a boyfriend, unlucky fellow, you know, then I came in, in my armor, in my, in my, my wit of a, of a sword. But anyways, right? So, yeah, you got to have murder. I didn't murder him. I would have, though, for her. Um, so you've got to have, you know, these different elements. And originally, romances were more about action, okay? Nowadays, our romances are more about, you know, love and a happy ending and not much romance on Facebook, no. You can't, you can't get that far. So, you know, this is the basic elements here of, of a good romance, right? Now, now give me an example of a good romantic movie. Robin. What was that? Robin. Dear John. Okay, what else? Robin. What was that? Robin. I'm getting there. Don't you, can, you can stop. No, I'm kidding. Uh, what, what else you guys got? Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. That's one of my favorites. Um... <laughs> you know what? I was going to say no, Tag- no Filipino references because I'm not going to get them. Okay? We have to say Hollywood films. So, my wife and I, yesterday, we were watching The Notebook. Okay, I, think, I think The Notebook is legitimately one of the best romances. It's a very, very good romance. Very, there's, there's a lot thought out behind that, and it was just really, really good. Okay, Now, <clears throat> don't ask me why I was watching romantic movies with my wife. Okay? You know, I would have wanted to watch a war movie, but I had to prepare for the sermon. You know? okay? Yeah, it's love, that too. Um, so, let's look at The Notebook. We can look at it that there's four main parts. Okay? There's four acts. That's how we're going to talk about stories. The first act is the beginning. You want to know how they fell in love, right? Well, I'm going to spoil the movie for you guys. If you haven't watched it, it's been a couple of years. You know, too bad. Uh, the, the movie basically begins, you got these two characters, Allie and Noah, they, they make eye contact in, in, a, in, a, in a fair, and then he's just awestruck. He literally jumps on a Ferris wheel and holds onto the bar and does not let go until she promises to go on a date with him. And she's actually on a date with another guy. Well, long story short, they fall in love. You know, he basically frees her from her, you know, upper-class, rich, southern lifestyle. And, you know, they have all these wonderful escapades. And very important, he promises to build her a house, a white house with a wraparound porch and blue shutters. So that's the first act. What's the second act? The second act is how their love falls apart. You've got to have conflict, right? So what ends up happening is he's a lumberyard worker. Now, he's poor. She's from an upper-class family, so when, she, when he's invited over for dinner, you know, they notice he makes 50 cents an hour. The mother's not happy. And then one day, she's out too late. She comes home. She gets in trouble. They have a big fight in her family, and Noah says, look, I'm not good enough for you. The summer's going to end. This is a summer romance. Let's break it off, okay? Now, if, if the movie ended there, we would call it a tragedy. We wouldn't call it a romance. We'd call it a tragedy. And then there's a third act. Now, the third act... Is how their love gets rescued. What ends up happening is he writes a love letter to her every day for a whole year and the mother hides them. So, what ends up happening, World War II comes along, she gets married, she gets engaged to some rich army brat, and then she sees, when she's trying on her wedding dress, a picture on the front cover of a newspaper, and there is Noah standing in front of the house that he promised that he would build her. So, what does she do? She runs down south, they meet, the engagement gets broke, broken off, and then you would think happily ever after, right? But there's a fourth act. And the fourth act is how their love gets restored. As they gain an age, she begins to get dementia, and she begins to forget everything. So this is the most beautiful part. There's only three things that make me cry. One is war movies, okay? We were soldiers. I don't know. It's something, Band of Brothers, something about guys you know, dying. I don't know. It just makes me cry. Two, my wife. Actually, one is my wife. My engagement and my wedding, bald like a baby, Okay? And number three, Joel's nodding his head. Yeah, you saw, right? And number three, don't judge me, old people in love. I just, I don't know what it is, you know? Whenever I see old people in love, it just gets me, right? So now they're old, and, and Allie wrote their love story in a notebook. And basically, when she gets dementia, Noah reads it to her every single day, and she maybe remembers for a couple minutes at a time who she is, who he is, and then they just revel in the love, and then boom, she forgets. So the way it ends is... They get really sick, they get old, and then they die together at the same time, and essentially they're free, right? Beautiful story. Now, thinking of those four parts, I'm going to read to you guys a story. I told you guys in that email, you know, the way I like to do evangelism is this thing called the story. You can go to, you know, viewthestory.com, and you can read about the story. So I'm going to read you guys a synopsis of this story, and after we read the story, with a background of what stories are usually about, we're going to talk about our stories, all right? So, the first act asks the question, how did it all begin? The creation. The story begins with God, who has always been. He's always existed, and he always existed exactly as he is now. Before the mountains were brought forth, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God, Psalm 90, verse 2 says. In the beginning, God spoke, and everything came into being. By his command, the entire universe was created and filled with a dramatic display of galaxies, stars, and planets, including the earth, on which was a perfect garden of paradise called Eden. Of all the beauty that he had created, the highlight, the crown of this creation, was man and woman. He made them in his own image, he called them Adam and Eve, and he designed them to reflect him, to love him, to work with him, you know, to think about him, to feel for him, and to make decisions with him. Genesis 1-1, of course, in the beginning, God created. I mean, that's the main character of this story that we're going to learn about. God, he's the one that creates, and he's going to be this main character, not us. So during this time in the garden, there was no pain, there was no suffering, sickness, or death, and there was no need for forgiveness. By God's design, all of creation was in harmony and exactly the way it was supposed to be, just like, you know, our notebook movie. During the summer, everything was hunky-dory. It was all good. But then something tragic happened, right? Which leads us to act number two, the fall, asking the question, what went wrong? Adam and Eve, the first humans, were far from being equal to God, even though he lovingly placed them in charge of all that he had created in Eden. Because God is love and love cannot be fully expressed without the freedom to make choices, God gave them the freedom to make decisions. But as we know, decisions have consequences. And one day, a former angel named Satan, who desired to be like God, took the form of a serpent and told Adam and Eve a lie. He deceived them into thinking God was not good and did not have their best interest in mind. And as a result, they willfully disobeyed God and broke the only rule that he had given them, not to eat fruit from a specific tree. And in rebellion, Adam and Eve decided that they, not God, would determine right and wrong. Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. The consequences of their actions were devastating. Similar to a disease, sin entered into all of creation and into the hearts of Adam and Eve. Suffering and pain were passed down from generation to generation, and all of creation was distorted from its original design. We have all read or heard the stories of war, poverty, disease, and scandals that plague our world today, and those are all a result of sin. The whole world is guilty before God, Paul tells us in Romans 3, verse 19. By understanding how perfect everything was in the beginning... We realize that we are far more flawed and far more sinful than we can dare imagine. Just think of the grudges that we've held, the thoughts that we'd never dare say out loud, the lies that we've told. It takes just one glance into our own hearts to see the truth, that we are all guilty. And everyone has sinned, and the ultimate consequence, even worse than physical death, is eternal separation from a loving God in terrible misery and unhappiness. Because of this, we need to consider the following questions. Can anything be done? Is there any hope? If the story ended there, my friends, it would be a tragedy. But, as we see it in the notebook, this pattern here is repeated. Right? We get to act number three, the rescue. Can anything be done? God removed Adam and Eve from Eden as a result of their sin, but left them with a promise of rescue and hope. His promise was that one of their descendants would ultimately defeat sin. Unlike people, God always keeps his promises. Over the next centuries, God prepared the way for someone special who would become the savior of all of mankind. And throughout the Bible, specific details of his coming are recorded in the Old Testament, including details of his birth, his life, and his death. In fact, all of the Old Testament ultimately points to this specific person called both the Messiah and the Son of Man as the focal point of all human history. So imagine, just like if you're watching the movie, you're waiting, you know, if you're starting from the beginning here, reading, you know, through Genesis all the way to the Revelation, you get to this point at the end of the Old Testament with these prophets, and you're just waiting for the Messiah to come, the one in the line of David, right? You're waiting for this king, this sacrificial lamb. And the Old Testament just ends, boom, with just, you know, the Israelites waiting. So you ask the question, well, well who was he? You want to get to the good part. The Messiah simply was God Himself. God became human in the person of Jesus Christ almost two thousand years ago, and all the predictions in the Old Testament made hundreds of years before came true. His birth was miraculous since his mother was a virgin, and his life was unique. He never sinned, and his death was sacrificial because he willingly, obediently, sufficiently, and painfully died on a cross for the sins of all mankind in the biggest act of mercy and grace the world had ever known. The perfectly innocent died for the hopelessly guilty. He took the place on a cross rightfully meant for us to pay for sins we've committed and will commit against God. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days after dying on the cross, Jesus emerged from his tomb, fulfilling his earthly mission to defeat sin, just as God promised. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil age. But the story doesn't end there. I mean, that's great news. That'd be a great ending, right? But it gets even better. We get to the fourth act, the restoration. What will the future hold? God has also promised that he will make all things new. The earth will be restored to the way it was originally designed to be completely free from sin, completely full of God's joy. No more ground-shaking earthquakes, devastating tsunamis, or violent storms will plague the world. No more pain, broken hearts, sickness, or death to trouble us. And everything will be restored to the way it ought to be. The earth will once again be the perfect home God intended for his creation. The highlight of this new kingdom is that we will be with God forever. We will be restored to a perfect relationship with the one who created, loved, and died for us. As C.S. Lewis, scholar and children's author, compared the first step into the new kingdom, he said, chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Revelations 21, verse one and verse four describe this restoration as follows. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God himself will be with them as their God. And he himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall, no more, shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. So a recap of our story. Four acts. acts. Act number one, creation. In the beginning God created, and God created everything to be perfect. Act number two, the fall. Man rebelled against a loving God and believed Satan's lie. And sin entered into the world and into every human heart. Everything is now broken and distorted, and everyone is guilty before God. Act 3, the rescue. Jesus, who is God, came to rescue people by his death and resurrection. By faith alone in him, all who are separated from God can have their sins forgiven and enjoy eternal life with him. And act 4, the restoration. God will restore everything to the way that it was supposed to be. And those who trust in Jesus will get to enjoy eternity with God in the new heaven and the new earth, and they will live happily ever after. That is a beautiful story. You know? I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's just wonderful, especially if you're reading it from the beginning to the end. You're waiting to see who this Messiah is. And, and the Pharisees are thinking it's going to be this king who's going to come and then kick the Romans' butts, and the Romans are going to get kicked out. But who does it end up being? God himself. He himself comes to dwell amongst man to save them. Now, can anything be more Romantic. You know, what I find romantic about the notebook is what lengths he was willing to do. The, the house. I mean, he, that, that's all he did. Now, after she left, all he did was work on that house. As if he, working on that house, could bring her back. And what is this romantic thing that God does? Remember our medieval night? Well, here you can picture, like, Jesus is this night. And he's going on this quest, right? And what's the quest? The quest is to bring humanity back to him. Now, interesting... Who's the monster in this scenario? Sin. But us. I mean, we crucified Christ. I mean, we're the monsters. We're the ones that want to be like God. We're the ones that want to rebel and commit adultery. Who's the damsel in distress? Us. That's what I find so romantic about this, is that the monster is also the damsel. The one who's committing the crime and attacking the knight is the one that the knight's trying to rescue. Beautiful story and a true story. So now let's talk about our stories. Now, when we talk about our stories, I guess the first question we have to ask is, what is love? And every time I say that, I always think of the song. You guys know what song I'm talking about? It's like from the 80s. You know, what is love, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Right? I, can't, I can't get through this sermon without thinking about that. And it actually kind of fits. When I was driving, I noticed, I mean, what he's saying, he's basically saying love, pain, pleasure, right? And that's, and that's usually what we think love is. That's why I've never liked the term in love. I just, I just never have liked it. Because I feel like it's just, it's, it's just explaining this emotional state of experience, right? of just pleasures and pain. But, but that's not what love is, right? You, you, you're not in love, you love right? I mean, love is a verb. It's, it's, it's something that you do. You know, when you look at First Corinthians chapter 13, all those different adjectives, patience, not, not having envy. I mean, these are things that you do. You, 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 you be patient. You show your patience. I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many divorces in the United States is that we think that love is just all about this, you know, I found the one. I'm in love, you know, and then when we fall out of love, whatever that means, off we go to find the next pleasure of person. Did you guys know revolving romances and women? Did you know in 2004, 50% of all paperback books sold were romances? Right? 90% of those were bought by women. The other 10% were bought by men who wanted to get those women. Yeah? Um, but I mean, it makes you think women and people are craving for relationships, for real relationships, for real love. And when we ask the question of love, I want you guys to think real quick with me. You know, knowing that you know, it's not about being in love, but it's about loving. I want you you married folks, especially uh, you folks who have been married longer than me. Now, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, so I'm not going to ask you to actually do this. But if I asked you to raise your hand if you love your significant other more today than you did when you met them, I would hope that a majority of your hands would go up. Okay? And Why is that? Trust me, that's not because love is an experience. I mean, it's not because love is a feeling, I guarantee you, because sometimes... You know, the person you're living with, if that's how we described love, then love would be murder, like someone had said, <laughs> right? Guess, because it gets difficult. So what is love? It's not, it's not just baby, don't hurt me, right? But, but it, it's, it's, there's something there, an experience, you know, something more than that. So, so think about this. You know, when, when it comes to love, a strong factor to it is that you guys have endured trials, trials together. You know what I mean? Trials and tribulations. Your feet have been put to the fire. I'll read a list, right, of some of the ones that I thought of. Perhaps you endured living in a one-bedroom apartment and eating macaroni and cheese for dinner, right? My wife and I, we had a one little room efficiency that my dad built in the back of the house. It was glorious, right? Our, our light switch was in the house, which means I had to call my dad or my brother if I wanted them to put the light on. Um, whenever we wanted to cook on our stove, we had it on a little wheel. We had like, one of these, like, one stovetop thing. And the thing is, if we plugged it in, we could only put it halfway on medium because if we put it on high, our, our electricity would, like, go out, okay? Our sink was basically running water and then a tube that goes outside. And I used that water that flowed outside to make a worm form, okay? It was rough. And our first meal, our first marital meal was a macaroni and cheese made on this stovetop. And it was delicious, was so My wife made it. It was superb. Okay. Anyways, you stood next to them and held their hand at their father's funeral. You were their shoulder to cry on. You endured empty bank accounts and hungry credit card collectors. You lost jobs together. And you survived nasty marital fights, flat tires, and those early marital meals, which I didn't have a problem with because all of mine were delicious. But it's, it's also not just about suffering together, but it's about surviving together, right? You experience those moments of suffering, but then you survive, and you gain those calluses, right? But it also just doesn't end there. It's, it's not just about suffering and surviving. It's about succeeding together. I mean, experiencing those joys together. So we'll compare our former list with other examples. You bought your first house together. You watched the birth of your first child. You finally paid off that debt. You celebrated over a promotion and you had wonderful dates on, that was ours, um, bought new cars and feasted on family thanksgivings. Noche buenas and no Now, if love was just about how you feel when the times were good or bad, our marriages would have too shaky a foundation and be meaningless. Love is rather a relationship. It's not a feeling. I love my wife more today because we have suffered, survived, and grown together. This is why most of us Hopefully, would raise our hands if I asked you, do you love your wife more today or your husband more today than when you met them? The same is also for single people. I mean, it's with any relationship. I tell this to the youth all the time. I mean, friendships take work, especially for women. Guys, not so much. You know, hey, come over. Let's drink some Mountain Dews and play video games. Like, that's, that's you know, that's it. For women, it's very complicated, and it's because they do have more, you know, genes or whatever, right? Something, right? No, they do. They do. They do. Yeah, in their offense, right? But no, no. Friendships take work, right? I mean, your best friends are the ones that you have suffered with, that you have survived with, and that you have succeeded with, right? Well, what about your relationship with God? I mean, we could say the same thing, right? I mean, you know, a lot of times people suffer from, you know, pornography and anxiety and depression. And, 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 you know, they'll cry out to God, and they'll say, God, you know, why would not you deliver me? Why do you allow me to experience this? I don't feel spiritually fed. I'm not spiritually growing. Why am I not hearing your prayers? And I would say, well, I mean, what's, what's your relationship like? I mean, I mean think, think if you know, the way some of us, you know, have our relationship with God. Imagine if that's how we pursued our relationship with people, okay? Imagine your girlfriend, you spend... Uh, maybe one to three minutes before meal, talking to them on the phone. And then after that, all right, you got to go, okay? You may spend uh, one day a week on a date with them, but that day is only an hour. And, you know, most of that date, you're really not paying attention. You're thinking about what you want to do after that date. What would end up happening? That person would dump you. I mean, they'd break up with you. And, And if that was your friend, your friend would say, man, you're a terrible friend, your friendships would never grow. They'd never be rich. You know, a lot of times people think that uh, a relationship with God is just about you know eternal glory, right? That that you know it's like your ticket into the Disneyland of eternity. You get to go up there and you get to play golf for all of eternity. But I mean, like the best part about a relationship with God is that it happens right now. You can you you can you can suffer with Him. You can you can you know uh, uh, succeed with Him, right? You get to experience all the joys of living a life as a son or daughter of God. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing. It's like saying, why wait now? I mean, if if this is so delicious and so beautiful, this is what you should be pursuing. Just like my wife, who was beautiful, and I pursued her to the point where I had to kick another guy out of her life, right? Turn with me to Mark 12. We're going to look at my favorite part, well, my favorite verse. I guess You can't really say you have favorite verses. You know, they're all good. But I, I'm, I'm especially fond for, the, for these verses. Uh, we're going to read through this. Mark twelve twenty eight through 34. I'll read. This is from the ESV. Now, what's happening is, you know, Jesus is talking. And, and, you know, some guys are throwing questions at him. Trying to, you know, trying to trick him and stuff like that. But Jesus is a smart dude, okay? Because he's God. Yeah, he's pretty smart. So it says, One of the teachers of the law came, and he heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. When you think kingdom of heaven, you're thinking that fourth act, restoration. There's something that this guy's is saying. That, I mean, he, he can kind of get a peek here at what the restoration is going to look like. And what does it have to deal with? Relationships and love, right? Relationship with God, right? Relationships with others and that these relationships are loving. They ask Jesus for the most important command, and how does he respond? The most important command is essentially a relationship. It is to love God with everything that you have, your mind, your heart, your strength, everything. The second great command simply comes from the first. It's still a relationship of love, but this time it is a love directed to yourself and others. God calls you to love yourself, to love others, and that these relationships essentially flow from the first. People get caught up thinking that the greatest command or the greatest relationship or the greatest story is just about loving themselves and others. They think that if only they could just love themselves more by experiencing greater passions and bigger, better products, or if they can only find that long-lost lover to be in love with the one or have real friendships. You know, real people in their lives that they would finally be satisfied. Their story would finally be good. Cuz we're all living for a good story. We all want good relationships. But they are doomed to fail. The first great command is to love God. The great commandment is focused on relationships as they were intended to be loving. Essentially, we are to love God, ourselves, and others. When we make our stories about ourselves, you can see that we make it about the wrong relationship. This makes our stories poor and empty. We were created for something so much more, for so much of a bigger story. The story is all about God. This is why the Bible opens up with those words in the beginning, God. And in that first chapter, I advise you, underscore every single time God pops up. You'll be amazed. God did this, God, 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 God. you look at all the wonderful things God does. He is the story. We talked about the greatest love story ever, the most romantic thing anyone has ever done. And it's found in this love letter called the Bible. We talked about its four acts and what made it such an amazing and true story, the most romantic and exciting, action-packed story of all of eternity. The question then becomes, how does this relate to our story? How does the story relate to our story? Is his story our story? Now, you'll find there's two types of people in the world. There are those whose story is their story, and then there are those whose story is their own story. Now, those whose story is their story, we call them Christians. Right? But even in Christians, there's different types, right? I mentioned, you know, some of, I mean, relationships have a health. You know, they can be healthy, or they can be sick. And I had mentioned, you know, an example of, of a relationship that is, that is in need with God. You know, those relationships where people are suffering, right? But they're not pursuing. They're not working on this relationship. You know, they're not understanding that God is there to suffer alongside of them so that then when they succeed, they can look up at God and give thanks to him. God wants us to walk with them. Do you remember Enoch in Genesis? You know, after the first three chapters, the fall happens. Adam and Eve are getting kicked out of the garden because they wanted to be like God. And even then, God promises, look, there's going to be a seed that's going to come and it's going to strike the head of the serpent. That seed, I mean, from the third chapter of the Bible, Jesus has already promised. But not only that, in the first verse of the Bible, God says, in the the beginning God created, that word beginning is barashit, which means through the first fruit. So even the very first verse of the Bible, the first fruit, Jesus, right? The world is being created through him. That's why Colossians has that language of, 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 you know, everything was created for and through um, Jesus. That's why John starts... You know, with he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and everything was created through the Word. Now, ways that you work on this relationship. I mean, you spend time with him, just like you spend time with anyone. You read his love letter. You know, What's the best way to figure out if someone loves you? You read their Facebook messages that they write to you, right? You, know, you, you read their love letters, you know? That's how you, you find out what a person's thinking. You know, relationships are all about learning about someone, you know? And the best friendships are the people that you know the most. And your entire relationships with people are going to be these experiences where you learn more and more and more about the person. And, and you'll never know them like you know yourself. You've got to work on it. And you can only imagine an infinite God you know, who, who, who knowledge is just bliss and pleasure and delicious. I mean, to learn about Him, Him who has no flaws, Right? Him who, who has written this love story to you is just such a wonderful privilege. That, I mean, that, that he not only you know, paid the price for our sin and our punishment, but then he calls us to be daughters and sons in his house and to experience all eternity with him. By loving your fellow believers is another way that you can love God. I mean, Jesus says love the least of these, right? Jesus, you know, humanity is, is his. He's the creator. We are the creature. And by loving you know, those who have the image of God. Essentially, we're bringing worship to Him. That's why we go out and we do missions. That's why we go out and do and, and do homeless feedings. I mean, I mean, think about evangelism. Evangelism is not necessarily about winning souls. I mean, that 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 is. I mean, that is the wonderful fruit. I mean, that this person is going to be in eternity. But the primal uh, motivation for doing for doing missions, I mean, is that you get to the point you say, "Oh my goodness, this is so beautiful." I mean, if you knew the cure for cancer, you would tell everyone who had cancer. So when you read something so beautiful, I mean, it gets you excited. It's like the sweet tea kettle that I have at my house that, you know, begins whistling, right? When I begin to boil it because it's just churning inside and it's just getting so excited that I literally have to take it and put it on the other side of the stove to get it to shut up because it's so excited with its bubbling. I mean, that's what evangelism is. It's like, man, this story is so good. I mean, have you guys ever watched a movie and you're like, man, this movie is so good. I got to tell someone, right? I mean, yesterday I was reading some stuff about the Trinity. I'm like, man, this is so good. I literally had to call my friends and tell them. I mean, it was just, it was so sweet, so delicious, this knowledge of God. Now, there are another type of person. And these type of people, their story is just whatever they want to make it to be. Like Adam and Eve, remember? They wanted to be like God. They wanted to know good and evil. They wanted their own story, right? They didn't want God's story. Perhaps there are some of you today whose story tells a different tale, perhaps you are lacking this essential relationship. Perhaps you are searching desperately in the world and in people for real love, for a real meaningful story, for meaningful relationships. And I tell you now with great somber and seriousness in my voice that your search is in vain. You may find happiness in pleasures, but your story will still remain empty of the true joy found in the true story. You may now be asking, if you're one of those people, what must I do to have this relationship? How can I make his story my own? You know, In thinking relation, in relational terms, how can I court this? I want this story. Now, what do I have to do? Do I got to buy him flowers? Do I, I got to buy God chocolates? You know, what, what, what type of actions do I have to do? Just like you've got to romance a woman. What do I have to do to romance God? I want this. This is delicious. Now, that's where we get to the wonderful part, right? This is why the gospel is called the good news. Thinking with that romance in the back of your mind. There is no amount of flowers or chocolates or dates that you have to pay for to buy a relationship with the one true God. This is where all of religion gets wrong. All these different rules, all these things you have to do to court salvation, to court the God or the gods. God has already done the work for us. This was the most romantic work ever completed, which was done by Jesus on the cross. You want to talk about romance? That is the most romantic thing you could ever possibly think of although we rebelled and committed adultery against God by ignoring our created purpose of having a relationship without him and by trying to replace this relationship with things in ourselves and in the world even then God came to us we wanted to be like God and to win us back God became like us the God of the heaven in the form of a babe in the cradle, experiencing humanity. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, North Carolina humanity where we get things like AC. We're talking about, you know, Israel, Jerusalem, you know, all these places in the Middle East. It's hot. There's no bathrooms. There's no AC. Jesus experiences the most excruciating form of torture of all time. That's where we get the word, excruciating cross. And he does this to win us back. He puts Noah from the notebook to shame. I mean, Noah builds a house, right? God builds the garden. He died so that we may live. He stands forgiving and with open arms to embrace us in the most wonderful romance imaginable. There is nothing that we have to do because he's done it all for us. Now, that is true love, that he gave the best that he had, his own son, making himself, by taking up human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, The price of death so that we may live. So, perhaps you are asking, how can I make my story his story? Perhaps you are tired of searching in the world for that relationship that you'll never find. Again, you ask, how? 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 Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're going to conclude here. I'm going to read verses 12 to 15 in chapter 3 and i'm going to read verses 1 through 7 and 12 to 13 in chapter 4 verses 12 to 15 see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living god be encouraged one another uh, but encourage it one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sins deceitfulness we have come to share in christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end as just has been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, skipping to the first verse of chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering my rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed Enter that rest. Just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. God again set a certain day, calling it today. Did you hear that? This love letter, this love letter is written to you. God says that we can enter his rest. We were created not simply to dwell on the earth, to labor in its lands, but to find true rest in him. No wonder you're tired trying to find rest in people or products, and trying to find your rest in these relationships. The passage is telling us why we don't have rest, because we don't believe in Him. God created us for rest, for worship, for relationship, for joy. And on the seventh day, God rested from all His works. It will be said of some people here today, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of their disobedience. They did not find rest because they did not believe. So if we know how we can make his story our own story in faith, which is shown through obedience, when can this all begin? When can our true story begin? What was the answer in Hebrews? What was it? Anyone remember? What was that last word? Today. Today. When can you enter, rest Today. When can you find Sabbath rest? Today. Again, God's love letter, which is addressed to you, has the answer. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A Sabbath rest remains, therefore, for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Rest from the work of finding false meaning and relationships can end today. Did you hear how wonderful that is? That you can have this true relationship today, that you don't have to court it, but that it's there for you, given by God's hands himself? So, if you want this to be your story, what you need to do is turn to him, believe in him, and cry out to him for this relationship. He's already done the work. The damsel in distress cannot have the romance of the knight unless she accepts and believes his love. Just like any gift of love, you have to accept it. And then you get to enjoy the wonders of such a relationship. Perhaps you want to know more. Perhaps you want to build your relationship. Perhaps you want to explore these claims to know more of the story and what role you play. The script. The passage in Hebrews also has the answer for where you shall go. Right after this wonderful gospel, this great news about finding rest and relationship, it points the direction for you. And where's the direction? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12-13 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So do you wish to know more of the story and your role in it? The passage points to the word of God. Study it, read it, learn it, meditate over it, chew it, desire it, love it. In it is contained the most glorious and beautiful romance you'll ever read. And the best part is it gets better every single time you read it. He not only told us that he loved us in this story, which makes it the best part, that it's true. A good story that the best ones are the ones that are true. He not only tells us that he loves us, but through the cradle, the cross, and the crown, he shows us. He proves it. He keeps his word. In Scripture, we find the greatest, most romantic, true love story ever told. And in it, we not only find a great love letter written to us, But we find how we may make this love story our own. How we can make his story our story. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you have provided for us such a rich story. Lord, that this is not a tale of tragedy, but Lord, it is a romance. A romance packed of much adventure and much love, Lord, and much compassion and wonderful romance, Father, wonderful, wonderful romance. Lord, I pray that their stories may be your story, Lord, that they may come to embrace this, to meditate on it and get a taste of just how good it is, Lord, to discover you, to know you, to yearn for you, to suffer alongside of you, to succeed with you, Lord. Father, may You be with them. May Your Spirit be present in their lives. And Lord, may we crave this story forever and ever. Amen.
1: Let's all stand as we bring praise again to God. Amen. This is my prayer in the desert When all that's within me feels dry This is my prayer in my hunger and need My God is a God who provides This is my prayer in the fire In weakness or trial or pain There is a faith proved of more worth than gold so we find me, Lord, through the flame I will bring praise I will bring praise No weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory and He is here. This is my prayer in the battle triumph is still on its way I am a conqueror and co with Christ so firm on his promise I'll stand I will bring praise favor and providence flow i know i feel to be emptied again the seed i've received i will sow
2: let's pray father god we thank you that lord even in this song we can Lord, sing our story, your story that you have given us, and we can sing it back to you. And Lord, we thank you for reminding us through Pastor Lenny uh, this morning that, Lord, you are, you've been writing your story, Lord. Uh, Lord, as we look back, Lord, in history, it's really your story that, Lord, you're writing because you are revealing yourself to us You're revealing your love, your grace, your eternal grace that we will be dependent upon, Lord, throughout eternity. Lord, we thank you for uh, GGCF. We thank you, Lord, for our church. Lord, that, Lord, you made us a part of your story. And thank you for our unique story as a church and that, Lord, you are writing and you continue to write that we can share to others, Lord. That, Lord, each one of us, Lord, we have discovered lord a great relationship the greatest relationship that we can establish lord with a great story writer the lord jesus christ whom he gave his life for us in the cross that through his death through his blood that he shed for us we are all reconciled back to you we are saved from all our sins that we don't have to die for our sins because jesus christ did it all for us lord what a beautiful story but lord thank you that the story did not end there Lord, as we live our lives day by day, yes, as the song says, Lord, we can declare, we can sing, we can tell, we can, Lord, share with others, Lord, your grace, your power, your wonderful works in our lives. Lord, sharing the story of healing and your presence, protection, Lord, your victory in our lives. So Lord, thank you also for each and every one of us here that you've reminded us that Lord we have a powerful story that we can share when we go back to our workplaces tomorrow. Lord, when we Lord, spend time with our families, Lord, how we experience your protection in our lives, how you have blessed our marriages, Lord, and how you've been with us, Lord, in every step of the way. Lord, in bad times, in good times, you are there. You're with us, Lord. And Lord, you are always victorious Lord in in protecting us in 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 guiding us with your word Lord thank you that Lord you're with us Lord in our finances Lord in our in our challenges Lord in in times of storms and trials and testings when we were sick you were there Lord and thank you Lord that Lord all of these are stories that we can share that we are what we are today because of Your grace and because of Your work. And Lord, if it's not for You, Lord, we won't be standing here. But because of You, Lord, we can worship You. We can serve You. We can love one another and we can share Your love to others. We love You, Lord, and thank You for loving us. We give You all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen.
1: I will bring praise I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and He is here. I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain.